Well, once again, good morning to you. I feel after that last song, we didn't really give you an opportunity to do what we needed to do. Can we give God some praise right now? Amen. Amen. I would also like to address Nathan Potter, if he can still hear me, about the story that he told previously. And I would like to make some corrections that sto- to that story. But I can't. <laughs> Driving back yesterday, we stopped three times. Because literally the words were, I can't feel my legs. Let's stop and stretch. And so, um, oh, we're so stupid. <laughs> and we're driving back, and he's speaking words like, you know, we should do another one. <laughs> Brother, I've, I carried you the last 12 miles. Uh, two really confusing and yet different, yet similar statements. I know what I just said. This is how God made me. Anybody ever said that before? But this is how God made me. Anybody? Raise your hand if you have. We're going to have class participation today. And knowing how different that that really is from this is how sin and insecurity has reared itself in my life. Sometimes we don't know the difference. And often when we want to stand on our own desires, our own preferences, what we say is, but this is how God, what? Made me. But for the believer, and you do, you speak to believers and non-believers differently. We have different responsibilities to believers versus non-believers. And I know some of you may be a non-believer, but there's different roles. There's different responsibilities that we have. And saying that this is how God made me is very different than recognizing, you know what? It's not that God has made me this way. These are the sins and the insecurities I have, and I have not surrendered those to God and allowed me to become a new creation in Him. You see that that tension that we have in life, right? You see that struggle that we have. And we have it with ourselves. We have it with individuals. Often that's where it comes out, right? Typically our hostility in life and our struggle with such, such questions, usually it comes out toward those who love us the most. And today we're really taking a, a stab at speaking to and about that issue by how we handle conflict. So I, I feel like right now, when you speak about conflict, every one of us needs to automatically put your elbows down. There will, we're going to make a promise right now. Everybody raise your right hand. I will not elbow my neighbor. Please say amen. amen. You're laughing because you feel convicted. Right? So we got to, there's no elbowing today. Because we're speaking about conflict, when you elbow someone, instead of resolving conflict, what will you be doing? Creating conflict. 
So for all of you guys, all of you ladies out there, I'm helping you out. No elbowing today as we get to speak about this because we really are going to need to be examining the difference between who God made us to be and also what it means to have insecurity and sin in our life that we have not surrendered to Christ. Often we believe that, and it's a lie, it is a lie, but we believe um, that if we avoid conflict, it'll just diminish over time. It'll go away. Does conflict diminish over time? Yes or no? No. Perhaps you could forget about it if you move. But it doesn't just diminish. It doesn't just go away. In fact, what it does is the opposite. It festers and it deepens. And the roots go deeper and deeper into our lives. And we discover that in our relationships. It can be in a marriage, but it can be also with a friend. It can be with a coworker. It doesn't, it can be with a neighbor. Right? It's, it's the person who builds a fence, your neighbor, and they build a fence, and you know exactly where your property line is, and they built it six inches on your property. And so you go inside and you tell your loved ones, you know what they did? And they say, oh, no, they didn't. And you say, yes, they did. And then you, you come to a conclusion, you know we're not going to do anything about it. But you know what? When they start throwing their leaves into your yard every fall, all of a sudden, that's a little bit harder to deal with. Why? Because it builds on each other. That's what happens. Conflict begins to deepen, and it festers, and it worsens over time. Avoiding conflict is not the answer. In fact, some, some conflict is based on fundamental issues that we have to have some conflict over. Because they're fundamental to truth. They're fundamental to who God is and who we declare that Christ is. And so if someone says, I don't believe in God, please, first of all, send them next week because I'm preaching on does God exist. But I'm going to say, oh, hold up. I've, I've, not, found, I've not found that to be true. Um, and then someone's going to look at me, and this has happened before, so you're saying I'm wrong. I'm going to say, well, well, I'm not going to say, yes, I'm saying you're wrong. And so sometimes we need to have that when it's on fundamental truths that we have as convictions in our life. So we need to recognize that as well. Conflict, we know that it often comes because of someone feeling wronged or mistreated. And so whenever you feel wronged or mistreated, all of a sudden that creates conflict. Right? It's an illustration I love to use um, we justify all types of things, don't we? One of the things we justify is um, when we steal something from our place of employment, paper, staplers, hole punchers, pens, pencils, right? And we do that, why? Well, they don't compensate me enough anyway. Or your boss isn't in town, and so you take off at 3.15 rather than whatever time you're supposed to get off of work. You say, well, they don't pay me enough, and you begin to justify you begin to say, well, okay, well, wait a second. Well, all that is conflict. You're just not coping with it, or you are coping with it in the wrong manner. In fact, now you're stealing. 
And so we have all these things that come up into our life, these irritations because we feel wronged or we feel mistreated. And it comes and it erupts within us so often. It links to that forgiveness that Pastor Jim was speaking about last week. You know, forgiveness and conflict, and that's why we're addressing these two things. We had three weeks to kind of hit relationships, and we go, what are the key issues? Well, forgiveness is a key issue. Understanding God's love is a key issue, but also conflict. We all have those issues. If we could start to resolve and understand how to cope with those things better, then we could enter into healthier relationships. And so we've got to speak about the ugliness and the selfish pride that exists so often with conflict. So a few things for us. Um, first of all, here's, here's uh, James. James nails this when he says the following. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What causes the, that, that's James, I want to share that again. James chapter 4 verse 1. What causes those quarrels and those fights and those conflicts within our lives? Is that our passions, our passions are at war within us. We know what we want and what we don't want. And so there's this, this battle that's taking place. And we want to stand for our preference. And we want to get what we desire. So this is what I want us to do. As we recognize that conflict is, is part of every relationship. I first, I want to speak to you about this. What is our responsibility in dealing with conflict? So if you're not a believer... Um, I want you to engage in this and listen to it. But this is really, for those of you who claim Christ, that we need to recognize that we have a responsibility when we deal with conflict. So there's a few different things here. One of our responsibilities is this, compassion. One One of our responsibilities is to be compassion. Compassion is the emotion that's most ascribed to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll give you a few examples. And I know I am about to go very, very quick. Um, so just know I'm going to call out as much as I can. Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Luke 7, 13. Matthew 9, 38. In all these areas, we find Christ um, being ascribed this emotion of compassion. And to be compassionate means to be moved deeply by the state of someone else. You see the condition that someone is standing in, and so you're moved to be compassionate. You're moved by their condition. And so one of the things that we need to do as believers, we know that we need to be compassionate. Second, one of our responsibilities is kindness. It's kindness. Kindness is compassion in action, by the way. It's where you don't pass someone who's hurting and just go, oh, sorry, they're hurting, and you keep going. It's where you do something about it, and so you have an act of what? Kindness. And it's where you're willing to show through your actions that even in the midst of conflict, you love them and you care for one another. And you pray that you would reflect the forgiveness that you have received from Christ, right? You're praying that you will reflect the forgiveness that you have received onto the person with whom you're even struggling with maybe in conflict. That's Colossians 3.13. It speaks about that. The kindness that we should have in such a way. Ephesians chapter 4 helps us to understand this as well. We're going to be diving into that more and more 
Um, because in Ephesians 4.15, it speaks about humility. So another characteristic of who we should be in conflict is we need to be humble. We need to be people of humility. Humility is action without regard for reward. It's a simple way of thinking of it. It's certainly also more complex than that, biblically speaking, in terms of being an attribute of who Christ is. But humility is action without regard for reward. So often people enter into conflict assigning blame, assigning fault. Why don't you like this person? Why don't you get along with this person? And, and automatically you start saying, well, they've done this or you've done this, rather than building each other up in Christ. That's Ephesians 4.15 and 16. It's Romans 14.19. There's another passage, 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it speaks about that as well. Really what these passages are speaking to is we need to ask ourselves, we need to examine if we are willing to die to our desire for personal gain through conflict. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you enter into a situation of conflict by what you can gain from it? Rather than reflecting Christ. And yet Proverbs 16, 8, we know that pride which is what that is, goes before the fall. Another thing that represents is a responsibility that we have in terms of who we need to be in conflict is not only do we need to be humble, but we then need to be gentle. Scripture speaks about this often. It says Proverbs 16, 24. It says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and it says health to the body. Proverbs 16, 24. Gentleness is this action that is received as help. It means that we need to be intentional in, in, in coming before someone and being gentle. Rather than having this eruption of hostility toward them, we need to have a gentle stream of encouragement, but also sharpening when we speak to someone. So those are some of our responsibilities. And then what I want to hit is this. What are the biblical steps in dealing with conflict? This is going to be very, very simple. One, two, three. What are the biblical steps in dealing with conflict? And first, I want to read for you 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19, and it says, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. No longer counting people's sins against them. One of the reasons we have so much conflict is we struggle with forgiveness, spoken about last week. But I think we really the root of that is we struggle to understand the enormity of what God has done for us. Because then what happens is we remind people of what they've done to us previously. But I remember when. Right? 
Recently, I reminded, I was with my brother not too long ago. It's been almost a year. We don't see each other that often. And we were going back and forth a little bit. And I'm like, man, you're always just jabbing at me. I remember, man, you, I remember when you busted my front tooth out. It's like, that was 37 years ago. I was like, I don't care. It still counts. And that's, I mean, right? We do that. And we may not play around about it. We were kidding. I really have no hostility toward my brother about knocking my tooth out. It caused a lot of brain damage. Um, I have no hostility toward that. But we hold on to those things. We struggle to release those things. And when you receive the forgiveness of Christ, we are to no longer live to ourselves. Which means that we're going to, to fight. We have to fight to focus on what Christ has done for us rather than focusing on our hurts. It's one of the most difficult battles we have in life is fighting to focus on what Christ has done for us rather than focusing on our hurts. And too many people only know how to focus on their hurts rather than on the healing that Christ has brought into their life. It's a struggle. It's hard. But I want to encourage you right now that you can do that. You can fight to focus on what Christ has done for you rather than focusing on the hurt in your life. And so three things that we have to do, three biblical steps. One of the first things we have to do is we have to identify it. You can write it down, identify it. We need to identify the conflict, the hostility that we have in life. And if you don't know when you really have those conflicts and that hostility, um, here's some triggers that we often have to know that those, it might be an area of conflict. One, you become upset over just little things. All right? it, just something small, and it causes you to react, and you go, oh, what's that about? And so that means that you've got some conflict happening in your life. Another indication that you have some unresolved conflict is that maybe you just more and more you complain about what's happening. You complain about everything. You complain more and more and more and more. And you just keep complaining. And so, yes, you maybe get upset or angry over little things. You complain about everything that's taking place around you. Maybe you are just oversensitive. And you just get defensive very easy. Like someone says anything and you think it's an automatic attack on who you are. You know, someone comes and says, hey, I was thinking about, I, I don't know if we did a very good job cleaning up the house. Can we get straight, or you even recommend, hey, can we go ahead and straighten up the house? Well, I haven't had time to get to it yet. Hold up. Like, what just took place? I just said, hey, can we all clean up the house? And you said, hey, I haven't had time to get to it. Like, all of a sudden, there's some conflict there. That's another way that you know that there's some conflict in your life that might need to be resolved, might need to be handled, might need to be dealt with. And so you have to identify it. Those are ways that can help you identify it. And we have to acknowledge that conflict. That we, guys, we've all been wronged. We know that. It tells us, though, the following. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27. And I'm going to read this. Um, we, we typically use the ESV. I'm going to read this from the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says, stop telling lies let us tell our neighbors the truth 
For we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a, listen to this, anger, which is a result often of unresolved conflict, okay? It gives the devil a foothold. And so when you're not handling that conflict and that anger starts to come up within you, what you're doing is you're opening the door and say, devil, come on in. Which is really saying, I'm going to let it get worse and worse and worse, and I'm going to let it fester and deepen, and I'm just not going to resolve it at all. But what it's really going to do, the larger you open that door, the more you're going to make it difficult to enter into a right relationship with the Almighty God. You see, I don't think we recognize fully the consequences of not coping with conflict. If we did, we would do a far better job. If we recognize the fullness, the enormity of the, 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 the issues that are created by not coping with it, the consequences that are there, we would do a far better job at learning how to deal with it. And so we have to identify it. Second, we need to confront it. We need to confront it. Now, when I say confront, confront is often used in a negative capacity. That, to me, does not mean negative. It doesn't mean you run up into someone's face and says, I can't believe you did this or that. That's not what I'm talking about. That's why I said, who should we be? Gentle and kind and humble, right? But we do need to confront it. Why? Because to not have healthy conflict is not to have a healthy relationship. To not have healthy conflict is to not have a healthy relationship. And I know that many of us fear, fear confrontation, but remember, it festers without it. And so we need to make sure that we confront it, and that means we need to make sure that we do that in the appropriate way. It means that we have to confront it without the attitude of, but this is what I want. Matthew 18, referenced last week in the message, Matthew 18 helps us to know how to handle conflict with another believer. If another believer sins against you, and again, I told you, we handle our relationship with believers and non-believers differently. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Hey, you did such and such. Is this what, what did you mean by that? Asking a question opens the door to conversation. Making a hard statement closes it. Right? How many times have we heard it? Asking questions opens a conversation opens a relationship, making a hard statement closes it. And so you go to that individual and you say, hey, listen, this is something that I think you did. Is that what took place? And if so, what's the meaning of it? If, can we talk about this? And so it says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, You've won that person back. What that really means is you're going to have an even better relationship because now you know that you can have those conversations. Isn't that good? Those are people that you're more willing to fight with. One of the reasons churches are floundering all over this place, all over the world, so many of them, is because they don't know how to have healthy conflict. Because when you resolve conflict with one another, you typically earn a closer brother or sister in Christ and you end up trusting them more because you know that you can go to them and you can have honest conversation and know where they stand and you understand, you comprehend that they're not going to just lie to you. 
And so you need to confront it. It tells us afterwards in the same passage in Matthew 18, and this is 15 and 16. It says, but if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again. One of the things that never says is, hey, if you have conflict with someone, if someone has wronged you, go tell a bunch of your friends about it first and then go to them. I have yet to find that in Scripture. I've read it numerous times. So we need to confront it in the right way. Finally, we need to identify it. We need to confront it. And then thirdly, we need to release it. We need to release it. I, I, th- I tell you, um, I was thinking about the message uh, previously from last week because of, of Acts chapter 7, 57 through 60. Um, that's where Stephen it has been stoned, and we were speaking about that, right? And how Stephen has been called out. Stones are flying at him. And yet when he really calls out and says, Father, forgive them, right? Lord, please, God, do this. They don't know what they're doing. One, he's echoing the words of Christ on the cross, but also what he's doing is he's releasing that. You don't think that's reason for conflict? You're throwing rocks at me. Literally, physically. But he's willing to release it. Ephesians 4, 23, uh, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. And I, I want to I really just kind of conclude with this passage for us today. And this is from, I, I think, a paraphrase. This is from the message. I, I think the message is a cool thing to read sometimes, but it's just a paraphrase of Scripture to me. It's not truly... The word, I want to say that, but this is what it says. It's a great read. It says, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. Now, when you're handling conflict, if you've learned of Christ, it will change the way you handle that. It says, you learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him. That you've been well instructed in the truth. Precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. If you've heard truth, if you've heard instruction from Scripture, you can't say, oh, I didn't know any better. So if we don't have the excuse of ignorance, everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life, it has to go. If you have a new relationship with Christ, the old has to go. There's nothing that lingers. There's nothing that stays behind. There's nothing left to hold you captive to anger and to hostility and to conflict and to confrontation. There's nothing left behind. You release that. He says, get rid of it. Take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life that's been renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. The way you handle conflict can be a reflection of the character of God. Not too long ago, 
And I'll just I'll finish with this story, and the praise team's going to come out. But it wasn't too long ago. Um, I was speaking with a lady, and there was just so much hurt that she has, and so much brokenness um, that she has, and she's just angry. And she uh, and I were having a wonderful conversation, and I looked at her in the eyes and I said, "Are, are you really okay?" Because I, I, I just don't see, I don't see a whole lot of joy. And I don't want to be offensive, but. I, and she goes, you don't know what happened to me. And she opened up her Bible and she pulled out of a list of all the different ways that she feels that she has been wronged. And a list of all these hardships that have happened in her life. She goes, she, she, she goes what do I do with this? By then, she's crying. I'm crying. And I said, you recognize that they are temporary. I'm not saying that they're easy to deal with, but they are temporary. And that God's paid the debt. She goes, well, then what do I do with it? You're still not answering my question, Pastor. I said, like, oh, conflict. <laughs> go burn it. Say, go burn it and make a new list of all the ways, not that you have been wronged, but that through the power of God you have been righted. Guys, it does not matter all you've been through. I'm not claiming to have been through everything you've been through. Christ has been. And, but you need to know this. No matter how much you have been wronged, how much conflict you now have in your life, you need to know this, hear it, you have been righted because of the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. You have been righted. I don't even know if that's proper English, and I don't care. You have been righted. Praise be to God. So this is what I want us to do. I want us just to, I want us to pray. I want to guide you through some prayer. So would you, I'm going to invite you to, you don't have to close your eyes to pray, but I'm inviting you to close your eyes. Will you just bow your heads with me? And right now, before you go any further, I want you just to privately thank God for how he has righted your life if you have received him. Give him thanks. And just to yourself, say, God, thank you for writing my life. Thank you for helping me to acknowledge my sin. And to know the joy of the Lord. And then ask Him to give you His strength to face conflict. Not so that you can get what you prefer. But to face conflict. Say, God, help me face conflict so that I can reflect you. Your character. Your image of gentleness and compassion and kindness.
And whoever you, right now, some, probably most of us have someone in our mind that we probably had the most amount of conflict with. God, right now, I'm going to pray that they would encounter the presence of God. Don't pray to fix them. That's not your job. Pray that they would encounter the presence of God today. To say, God, help whoever it is to encounter your presence, to see your face, to hear your voice, to remember the greatness of who you are. And then tell God right now, say, God, I release all things to you. I release all things to you because you're the one capable. You're the one who can possibly redeem those things. You can redeem anyone at any time from anything. And so, God, we come before you and we give you thanks and we give you worship and we give you praise because you are so amazing. You are so great. You are so good. And there are people in this place right now, Lord, I'm praying that they would encounter you as well because they have had so much hurt and so much conflict in their life that is unresolved that they are no longer able to see your goodness. They've invited the devil in. Given, they've given him a foothold in their life and they don't even recognize it. And so may they release that today. In Christ's name, amen. Right? You've given devil a foothold. You've given the, the devil a foothold and he is, he's preventing you from seeing the glorious nature of who God is and what he desires for you, that you matter to him, that he loves you. And you just need to step forward in that. You need to run and jump into that, which means you have to release it and say, Satan, get out. Right? And sometimes we don't even like to, there's certain words we don't like to say, like sin. Don't call me a sinner. I just made a mistake. Sometimes, it's just, sometimes I just say it. I'm running down the road. I'm like, Satan, get out. Nathan stares at me. I'm like, I didn't say Nathan. I said Satan. Everybody just say, Satan, get out. Jesus, come in. Let's invite him to do so. And we will experience a life sitting in his joy and in his presence. Let's stand and sing together. For he is the great I am.